Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 60 Minutes ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. What happens when the main water source for the Southwest begins to run dry? The Colorado River serves 40 million people their drinking water, powers their homes, and irrigates 90% of the nation's winter-farmed greens. To all those demands, add the stress of a 22-year drought, and you have the makings of a crisis. These white bathtub rings, is, is this where the water used to be? Absolutely. In need of some hopeful news, so were these students and their families. Good afternoon, Johnson College Prep. We went to the south side of Chicago to witness an act of kindness so profound. It could lift the dreams of thousands for generations. I'll remember this day for the rest of my entire life. I'll never forget this day. What's Eurovision? Well, it rivals any major European sporting event pitting nation against nation, with most of the continent tuning in on the final night. We went to Iceland and talked to the president. Kisses for me. Yes, the actual president, about why winning Eurovision this year would be a dream for this island dancing in the North Atlantic. And really, how much did anyone know about Sweden before ABBA won Eurovision in 1974? I'm Leslie Stahl. I'm Bill Whitaker. I'm Anderson Cooper. I'm Sharon Alfonsi. I'm John Wertheim. I'm Scott Pelley. Those stories tonight on 60 Minutes. (sighs) 
That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The drought-stricken Colorado River is in critical condition. Last summer, the federal government declared the first-ever shortage on the river, triggering cuts to water supplies in the southwest. Since then, things have only gotten worse. The Colorado is the lifeblood of the region. It waters some of the country's fastest-growing cities, nourishes some of our most fertile fields, and powers $1.4 trillion in annual economic activity. The river runs more than 1,400 miles, from headwaters in the Rockies to its delta in northern Mexico, where it ends in a trickle. Seven states and 30 Native American tribes lie in the Colorado River Basin. As we first reported in October, the river has been running dry due to the historically severe drought. The majestic, meandering Colorado River that cut through these red cliffs carving the Grand Canyon is a wonder of nature and human ingenuity. The Glen Canyon Dam created Lake Powell, and 300 miles downriver, Lake Mead sits behind the Hoover Dam. These reservoirs are now being sucked dry by 40 million different straws. That's the number of people in booming western states who depend on the Colorado to quench their thirst, power their homes, water lawns, and splash in the sun. Its waters irrigate farms that produce 90% of the country's winter greens. To all these demands, add the stress of a 22-year drought as dry as any period in 1,200 years, and you have a river in crisis. These white bathtub rings, is this where the water used to be? Absolutely. Brad Udall, a climate scientist at Colorado State University, went out on Lake Powell with us. So all of this would have been underwater. Yeah. So what does this tell you about what's happening on the Colorado River? Well, it's a signal of the long-term problem we've been seeing since the year 2000, which is climate change is reducing the flows of the Colorado significantly. Lake Powell and Lake Mead, the two biggest reservoirs in the country, were nearly full in 2000. Today, they're at about 27% capacity. The lake's now 155 feet below full. It's dropped something like 50 feet this year. And it's still dropping? Yes. And that's when power generation actually becomes to come into question. It'll drop so low that it may not be able to generate... It may not be able to generate power. Hydroelectric power. Yeah. Brad Udall has strong connections to the river. As Secretary of the Interior, his uncle, Stuart Udall, opened the Glen Canyon Dam. 
His father, Congressman Mo Udall, fought to channel river water to Arizona. Yards As a young man, Brad was a Colorado River guide. Today, he analyzes the impact of climate change on water resources. Is the West on a collision course with climate change? In some ways, yes, but we have fully utilized this system. We've over-allocated it, and we now need to think about how to turn some of this back. Because the only lever we control right now in the river is the demand lever. We have no control over the supply. So we have to dial back demand. 70% of Colorado River water goes to agriculture. When the federal government declared the water shortage, it triggered mandatory cutbacks. Pinal County, Arizona got hit hard. Pinal County alone, we're going to be losing 300,000 acre feet of surface water. That's water that would be delivered from Lake Powell, Lake Mead, as part of the Colorado River. 300,000 acre feet is 98 billion gallons of water. Whalen Wirtz farms 500 acres in Pinal County, south of Phoenix. His family has tilled soil here for four generations. It's some of the most productive land in the state. Crops from Pinal County are shipped all over the country. Wirtz grows gourds, cotton, and alfalfa. Profitable but thirsty crops. And his allotment of Colorado River water is being cut by 70%. This is Colorado River water? Yep. Kind of the, the lifeline of our uh, irrigated ag here. This comes straight in from Lake Mead. Correct. This is uh, through hundreds of miles of canal system. It's uh, made its way down here to central Arizona. And what percentage of your water is supplied by this canal? It's been close to 50% of the water that we've used to, uh, to farm here. And uh, this next year, it's probably going to drop down to about 20% of the water that we use. That's one-seventh of what he was getting a decade ago. To use less water and make ends meet, Wirtz sold more than 300 acres to a solar farm. He dipped into retirement funds to repair and restart old wells. He laser-leveled his fields to make irrigation more efficient. But it's just not enough in the middle of this drought. No, it's, it, it's not enough. And so, he told us, he'll have to leave 150 acres uncultivated. What you see green here is eventually going to die. I hope we'll have enough water to plant it in the future. But more than likely, it's going to stay brown for quite some time. All the water users are going to have to give up something to keep that water in the lake. Amelia Flores is chairwoman of the Colorado River Indian Tribes, a reservation of four tribes a few hours west of Phoenix, with the oldest and largest water rights in Arizona. After being moved to reservations, Southwest tribes got rights to about a quarter of the river's flow. But government red tape and lack of infrastructure have prevented them from using their full allotment. Flores told us until this drought, tribes were never included in water negotiations. Why had you not had a seat at the table before this? Because the tribes have always been overlooked in the policymaking and in, in the law of the river, but that day has come to an end. When western states first divvied up the Colorado River in 1922, 
And later, when the federal government built the Hoover and Glen Canyon dams, the future seemed boundless and manageable. Through negotiation and court battles, states worked out agreements, the law of the river, to split the water equally between upper and lower basin states. The lower states used just about all their allotment, and it's fed their tremendous growth. The upper states have never used their full share. Now they are booming and say they need the water they've been promised. I can see the bathtub rings around here, too. We're trying to keep every drop of water we can into this reservoir for next year's drinking water. Zach Renstrom manages the water system for Washington County in southwest Utah. St. George, the county seat, is one of the fastest-growing metro areas in the U.S. Its population grew 29% this past decade. The state of Utah gets about a quarter of its water from the Colorado. But most of Washington County has only one source, the Virgin River, which fills this reservoir. So right now, we're in the process of implementing really strict conservation measures. And if the cities don't adopt those standards, then we'll be out of water very quickly. What is very quickly? Within the next five to 10 years. So in the midst of this drought, Utah is proposing to build a one to $2 billion pipeline able to bring 27 billion gallons of water a year from dwindling Lake Powell. Utah says it's entitled to the water by law. You're talking about siphoning off water from a lake that's already at a critically low level to help a city grow in the desert. Every state on the Colorado River was allotted so much water and at a water budget. And so with their water budget, the state of Utah has decided that it wants to use a portion of its water here in St. George, Utah. But it was a budget that was set when water was plentiful. It isn't anymore. What is Utah hoping for? Utah wants the right to do what every other basin state has done. We want to make sure that we have water for our future, for a hotter, drier scenario that's coming up. Building a multi-billion dollar pipeline to pump out more water from an already rapidly declining reservoir simply doesn't make sense in the 21st century. J.B. Hamby is vice president of the board that runs California's Imperial Irrigation District, one of the richest agricultural regions in the country, with the single largest allocation of water on the entire river. There's a lot of urban growth and sprawl occurring in other parts of the Colorado River Basin that's really not necessarily sustainable. Hamby says California's Imperial Valley farms have cut water usage almost 16% since 2003 but points out, as the population of St. George, Utah grows, so does its water use. We need to think and rethink about how we grow and if we grow and where we grow. St. George would say that they're not asking for more, they're asking for what they need. I think what we all need to have is a reality check here and recognize that we live in an era of limits right now, and that's not going away anytime soon. In fact, it's only going to get worse. A big part of the problem is the law of the river itself, a hodgepodge of rules and regulations pieced together over the course of a century. For example, after all the litigation and negotiations, the law ends up allocating more water than actually flows down the Colorado. And this, in times of shortage, channels that provide more than a third of Arizona's water must run dry 
before California is required to cut back. So, so wait a minute. Arizona is being called on to cut its water intake before California has to give up even one drop. Pretty amazing. It can't work in today's world. And it's in some ways a little microcosm, right, of this whole law of the river with these systems that have been put in place that just don't work, they can't work. And that's why a rethink's needed. One example of rethinking, the Colorado River Indian tribes agreed to leave fields uncultivated, leaving 48 billion gallons, almost three feet of water, in Lake Mead. The state of Arizona agreed to pay them for their losses. My people want to help during this drought. We want to save the river because for centuries, the river has always taken care of us. So now we have to take care of the river. That's what negotiations are all about, right? It may be their ways to conserve and figure out how to get the same goods and services for less water. Let's let ag grow crops that use less water. Let's figure out how to make cities use water as efficiently as possible. So, I mean, we need some optimism here, right? But as we saw at this meeting of Pinal County farmers, optimism is in short supply. The farmer who's prepared the whole life, worked the land, farmed the land, is getting the short end of the stick. Farmers here and across the Southwest feed the country, but it takes more than two-thirds of the Colorado River to produce the bounty. With lake levels dropping, Arizona farmers like Whalen Wirtz fear their fertile fields could become desert again. You're going to see drastic cuts, a drastic change of what next year has to bring. And for my particular family farm, we're doing all that we can to keep it going. But I have a feeling it's just a matter of time before none of this exists. The federal government is calling for drastic action to keep the Colorado River system afloat urging the basin states to conserve as much as 4 million acre-feet of water in the next year. To put that in perspective, that's nearly the amount California receives from the river in a year. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You have to admire the ambition of an inner-city high school that calls itself Johnson College Prep, especially when a third of the students have no permanent home and many dodge violence just to get to class. 
But the students in this Chicago public school believe in their name. They've done the work, and they've been accepted to college. Trouble is, few have the money to go. Johnson College Prep needed something like a miracle, and this past winter we were there when the miracle called Hope Chicago arrived. When would you have a slope of zero? Johnson College Prep on Chicago's south side embraces nearly 500 students. Every student that walks in our door deserves an opportunity to be engaged by staff members who love them for no other reason except the fact that they are one of our students. Principal Jonas Cleves knows the names and the dreams in the halls of Johnson College Prep. College is your middle name. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why we're here. We, we want kids to have a shot. But on the south side, a shot is hobbled by stumbling blocks and tall barriers on a narrow path to the dream. One-third of households here bring in less than $25,000 a year. Right now, at least 40% of our senior class have identified either themselves or a very close relative being impacted by gun violence. Like, imagine the trauma associated with that. You must worry about them when they're not under this roof. Uh, it's, it's a struggle. You know, when we go on, you know, the Thanksgiving breaks or any holiday break, we get those calls when there's a student who has been shot or assaulted. Uh, we receive those calls from parents and students who need support financially with uh, a major bill. For a lot of your students, school is the safest, best part of the day. It's a sanctuary. And an inspiration. I'm a real cadet. I'll be true to myself and others. A Johnny Cunningham joined Marine Corps Junior ROTC to add some ammo to his many applications for financial aid. Because I am in a thousand programs all at once, including ROTC um, debate, half honors in AP classes. Um, I've taken college courses, so I'm just trying to do the most that I can to make college the least expensive. Well, Father, we thank you for watching over all of us this morning, waking us up and clothing us all in our right mind. Kavarian Newsom's hopes lean on faith. Amen. Amen. He told us that's how he endured being raised by his grandmother, who was drug addicted at the time. I have so much faith in God. It's like, I'm not even going to worry about money. Anything I've ever put in God's hands has never failed. So I know he'll come through. I know it for a fact. You know, we have students who are doing construction, working in warehouses, um, working the night shift, getting off at 6 a.m. and coming to school. You got to admire the dedication and the character. What could that kid do if given the chance? We told the students we were writing a story about college ambition, which wasn't the whole truth. We knew what was about to happen because we'd met the man who would change their lives. I'm a guy who got really lucky in life. I'm a guy who won a lot of lotteries. The birth lottery, the zip code lottery, the education lottery. And when I think about having won all those lotteries and all the people who are suffering, it's my chance to give them those same opportunities. That's who I am. 
He is Pete Cadence, a Chicago millionaire who retired at the age of 40 after starting five companies, including one of the largest growers of cannabis. Sense of guilt? Yes, 100%. I feel horribly guilty that I created this amount of wealth and that so many people are still suffering. Suffering, in his view, because the richest country in history has not found a way to educate all its children. I used to think that college and going to college was the great equalizer. In truth, what we've come to find out, college is the great stratifier in this country. It furthers the gap between the haves and the have-nots. Most people just don't realize that. And they don't realize how expensive it is for a minority student in a disinvested community. They don't just get a bunch of financial aid. And if they do, they come out with a boatload of debt so they can't compete with their white suburban contemporaries even after college. I just think that fundamentally, there is a misunderstanding in this country that college is accessible to everybody. And the fact is, no, it is not. But it was about to be accessible at Johnson College Prep. When everyone's assembled and no one knows why, you're going to look across that room and what are you going to see? I'm going to see students and families who deserve this moment. You know, you asked me earlier about students that we've lost, and we, we often tell our families in those moments to, like, hang in there, you know, stay in the fight, don't give up, uh, a better day is coming. Um, this is their better day. A Johnny Cunningham was there beside Kavarian Newsom. They didn't know what the assembly was about or who Pete Cadence was. Good afternoon, Johnson College Prep. But they will never forget. We're going to walk out of here forever changed today. And that is because if you were a freshman, sophomore, junior, or senior at Johnson College Prep, your college tuition, your room and board, your books and fees will be paid for, you will go to college for free! Free. Cadence Charity, called Hope Chicago, will pay in-state tuition and expenses, an act of kindness so great it had to be squeezed to fit within belief. That same week, Cadence made the same announcement at four additional Chicago high schools. Look, we are operating in a city here in Chicago where the number one cause of death for children under the age of 18 is gunshot wounds. No, we're not going to wait anymore. It's now or never. How many tuitions in Chicago altogether? We will end up funding about 30,000 uh, individuals to go to college or trade school in the city of Chicago. Over and what period of time? Over, over the next decade. That makes this uh, the largest scholarship program in the country. Kavarian Newsom deeply appreciated Pete Cadence, but he told us he knew who he needed to thank. Well, I didn't get to pray about the assembly yet because I'm still trying to process all of those feelings because of what just happened was, I mean, simply amazing. But God will get some special time for me tonight. But in the assembly, there was more. Just when a better day couldn't be any better, Janice Jackson took the stage. The former CEO of Chicago Public Schools is the new head of Hope Chicago. Pete left one important part out. Parents, guess what? You're going back to school too. 
Hope Chicago is sending a parent or guardian from each family to college. For a Johnny Cunningham's mother, incomprehension was finally broken by the memories of her dreams deferred. We have always had a too close relationship with poverty and lack. Once homeless, Yolanda White, a single mother, cleared a path for five children, two through college already. And I've taken all the hits so now they can go and, you know, understand that I've been the shield and they can be free to do what they want to do with their lives. Now it's her turn. She'd like to take technology classes to grow her baking business. Johnny, your mom's ferocious. <laughs> She's amazing. The idea of parents and students going back to school together, I think that can be powerful and, and motivating in ways that we haven't even thought about. Janice Jackson, the former head of Chicago schools, told us she decided to take Pete Caden's offer to run Hope Chicago, largely because of tuition for parents. What do you expect to happen from the fact that you're sending the parents to college? I expect them to get better jobs, that they're going to be in a position to take care of their families. I was talking to one parent who told me she had two jobs. That is a barrier. So I think when you strengthen the family, you strengthen whole communities, and ultimately we're going to make our country stronger. You're not trying to educate this young generation. Yeah. You're trying to fix the south side of Chicago. We, we have to catch up. That's the bottom line. And I may be biased, but I do believe education is the single most powerful way to disrupt generational poverty. It is. And for some of our parents, once they have children, they put their hopes and dreams on hold. And so this is an opportunity to get back in the game. Of course, money isn't everything. Cadence told us counselors working with Hope Chicago will guide parents and students all the way to success. These students need life skills training. They need mentorship. They need financial literacy. They need guidance counseling and curriculum advice. What Hope Chicago brings with our partner agencies is we wrap all those services around those students so they're not just stranded with a boatload of cash. They actually have people and teams around them to engage them so they can make it through college. Poverty is intergenerational. Hope Chicago is Pete Caden's second tuition charity. In 2020, he funded scholarships in Toledo, his hometown. Cadence has pledged $15 million to his scholarships. His Hope Chicago partner, Ted Koenig, kicked in $10 million. Corporations are also donating. Hope Chicago will cost a billion dollars, which some call ambitious. And when they say ambitious, they don't necessarily mean it in a positive way. They mean crazy. But here's what we know, Scott. If we educate our families, we'll resolve a lot of the violence issues. We'll start to put pharmacies and office buildings and grocery stores into these communities. And so, yeah, we may be crazy, but this is an economic development investment as much as it is an educational investment, and we have to do it. So many people who have lived young lives like yours with all these obstacles are just casualties in America. Right. And I wonder why you're sitting here doing so well and going to college next. Because I never gave up. It's like, okay, so you know how you can play basketball. Every shot that you shoot, 
would not always go into the net. But I guarantee you, if you try over and over and over again to shoot that ball, one time it's going to go into the net. So that's how I live my life, on trying this thing over and over again. Every day we wake up, we have new mercy and new grace. Well, you drained a three during the assembly today. <laughs> I'm still processing those feelings. Today, I'll remember this day for the rest of my entire life. I'll never forget this day. Grace and prosperity once raised monuments on the south side. Now, even with so much forsaken, Pete Caden sees through the neglect to the vibrance still inside. I think many communities around this country can have hope. Why can't there be hope Peoria and hope Indianapolis and hope Charlotte? I'd love to see other philanthropists and other communities take up this endeavor and own it. Calling all billionaires. Calling all billionaires, calling all corporations. What we're doing here is action. We want our corporations, our foundations to join us in this action. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. With Europe convulsed by war, a campy intracontinental song contest might seem especially frivolous. But it's worth remembering, that was the original point. Eurovision launched in 1956, in part a post-World War II effort to unify Europe. A cross between the Olympics and American Idol, today it's the world's largest and wackiest musical event, consuming the continent for weeks each year and culminating in a live TV show. The semifinals and finals draw an audience of more than 160 million for a contest that might pit a Bulgarian crooner against a German disco act. Let the glitter and the umlauts fall where they may. Eurovision 2022 took place in Turin, Italy last May. Right before that, we went to Iceland, a country of 350,000 souls with an outsized passion for Eurovision to meet their contenders. For all the snow-capped mountains and rainbows in Reykjavik, the essence of Iceland revealed itself one Saturday in March inside this fertilizer factory converted into a concert hall. Wrapping their way out of a giant disco ball, the daughters of Reykjavik, the odds-on favorite to win Iceland's annual Songfakepnen, or song contest. It's a national preliminary a sort of play-in tournament to determine who will represent the country at Eurovision in Italy this year. Hey! Tell me the name of the contest. Söngvakeppnin. Söngvakeppnin. Yeah. You got it. Backstage, the evening's hosts graciously approved of our pronunciation. 
and explained Eurovision's appeal. We have darkness here like nine months a year. So this is kind of the antidepressant that takes <laughs> us from darkness yes. into the light. Yeah. And all the nation, we don't agree on anything in Iceland <laughs> no. in general, no. except for like we love swimming pools and we love Eurovision. Dancing by itself in the North Atlantic, Iceland uses Eurovision as a bridge to the continent. Land of volcanoes and blue lagoons, once the province of Vikings and now proudly progressive. Runar Gislason is executive producer of the Icelandic contest and accompanies the winners to Eurovision. We are here, very few people in Iceland, on an island, isolated, and we just love to meet the world and connect and unite with people all over the world. This helps you feel more part of Europe? Definitely. Eurovision is a traveling circus with a big tent, one you truly have to see to believe. Forty countries send one act, and over the years they have run the gamut, to perform a three-minute song for a panel of judges and millions of televoters. No, you cannot vote for your own country. The winning country gets bragging rights and hosts Eurovision the following year. Italy won last year for the third time with the rock act Maniskin. But a Nordic country lays claim to Eurovision's most famous winner. That would be ABBA in 1974. The Swedes, with six wins, are the contest powerhouse. But no country rocks out to Eurovision harder than Iceland. It joined NATO in 1949, but locals joke the country really arrived on the international scene in 1986, when it was first admitted to Eurovision. The whole nation didn't think about anything else but the competition. We had watched it for several years and enjoyed it, but now we were in the competition. We really thought that we would win the competition. We were, we were absolutely sure about that. Iceland's president, Gudni Johannesson, recalls the letdown. He was 17 then. Now he is the rare world leader who clears his schedule and opens the doors of his residence to talk Eurovision. I remember that as if it had happened yesterday. It was like, what? <laughs> Zero points for Iceland. And we ended up in 16th place. It was a reality check for us Icelanders. Help us understand what this contest means to this country. Well, we're a small nation. It's me, my mother, and so on. <laughs> we still like to believe that we can compete with the big guys and the big girls. What makes for a good Icelandic entry into this continent-wide contest? I'm no expert, but the catchiness is the key factor. There has to be something that grabs you. Don't you know you make me feel bad? At the final round of Songfakepnen, Five acts belted out original compositions, one catchier than the next. We call it the Icelandic Song Contest and the Eurovision Song Contest, but everybody knows it's not only about the song. It's about the act. Let's go! It's about the lightning and the glimmer and the show of it. 
The feminist hip-hop collective certainly got that memo. Tell me the name of your band. Reykjavik Which means? Daughters of Reykjavik. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Let's answer everything like this. <laughs> How long have you guys all known each other? Nine years. <laughs> We've been a band for nine years. Then we decided this fall, like, okay, let's do it this year. And that means we have to go 190% in, you know. Unquestionably, the most chill of Iceland's hopefuls, sisters Siga, Beta, and Elin, their kid brother on drums, performing a country song. Song for Kepnin, unplugged, as it were. Music runs in their blood. Their mother competed here. But she came second. I was very disappointed. <laughs> like, why? Disappointment is a repeating beat in Iceland's relationship with Eurovision. We've never won the thing, as you know. Twice been close, twice in second place. An historian by trade, President Johannesson is a trove of Eurovision trivia. I can easily recall winning entries, Sandra Kim in 86, Brotherhood of Man, Save Your Kisses for Me in 76, if I remember correctly. You know, it would be an act of journalistic malpractice if I didn't ask you to sing. <laughs> I sing in the bathtub, I sing in the shower. Do I sing live in 60 minutes? He sure does. Save your kisses for me, save all your kisses for me. Bye bye, da da. And so on and so forth. That's all the singing you're going to get from me. That song won for the UK. And while there's no big check or recording contract at stake, the winner gets an undeniable career boost. Celine Dion of Quebec went global after a win for Switzerland in the 80s. The rules allow for ringers explained Dave Goodman of Eurovision, though most acts sing for their native countries. Julio Iglesias did Eurovision in the early 1970s. He sang for Spain. True, but Iglesias didn't always care to admit it. I gather Julio Iglesias wasn't always so forthcoming about his, his Eurovision past. In the 1980s, he's on record as, as denying he took part, actually. But there was a period when it wasn't seen as fashionable to say that you'd done this competition because it's changed a lot over the years. Tell me if I'm wrong. It seems that in some corners, people might look down, look, look down their nose at Eurovision. Yeah, there has been, certainly over the years, the idea that it's sort of low culture, the Eurovision Song Contest, because it's popular, because it's entertainment. We've had hamster wheels on stage, we've had pianos on fire. The great thing about Eurovision is that you can come with anything you like. Iceland pushed the Eurovision envelope three years ago with Hattori, self-described anti-capitalist performance artists. As Icelanders do, the whole country adopted the look and learned the lyrics. We're all gonna die. It's the end. <laughs> this, uh, this, this doom music. Yeah. After performing in the finals, held in Israel that year, Hattori snuck a Palestinian banner under their clothes and raised it on camera. I gather Iceland was, was fined for that. Yeah. There was 500,000 Icelandic kronas. That's not... Not very much. Uh, and they should have paid it 
the guys, but we did. You paid their fine for <laughs> yeah, them. Yeah. We didn't charge them for it. So we're very, very protective of the fact that this isn't a political program, and not a political competition. And yet, the Union of European Broadcasters that puts on the competition has banned Russia this year. Ukraine, meanwhile, selected its act just days before the invasion. What can you tell us about the Ukrainian act this year? They're called the Kalush Orchestra. And their song's called uh, Stefania. I think it's a tribute to their mother. We believe that they have dispensation to travel, to come to Turin. Leave Ukraine. To leave Ukraine. We very much hope that we will see them in Turin. Back in Reykjavik, a group of hardcore fans had Ukraine on their minds as they arrived by chartered party boat for the Icelandic final. And backstage, it was easy to forget that ultimately, this is a competition. Tension emerged later in the evening as Runar tabulated the results, a mix of the judges' tallies and fans voting by phone. Iceland's field was winnowed to two acts, the daughters and the sisters. Then, upset at song for Kepnin. Few in the venue were more shocked than the sisters themselves. I feel like I'm talking to athletes after a big game. <laughs> yes, we feel like, we feel like, yes, we like this like is the first time we've ever competed in anything. Yeah. And we're, we suck in sports. <laughs> and, you know, it's not a typical Eurovision song. This is like an out-of-body experience yeah. right now, you know. Oh, my God! After hugging their parents and, of course, the head of state, Siga, Beta, and Elin set off across Europe on a tour of pre-parties, making new fans on the road to Turin just as they tried to make Eurovision history for their country. Why hasn't Iceland won this damn thing? It's about keep trying. A song like Iceland's can do well because it connects. And I think that's what the, the secret of Eurovision is, creating a connection. The sisters will perform the song Mea Hakandi Sol in Icelandic. Tell me what the lyrics mean. The chorus. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with the darkness of winter, the sun rises. Oh, it just melts, melts the hearts. With all due respect, sounds better in your native tongue. I, I told you, I told you. <laughs> And so, for all the flaming pianos, Iceland will try and snap its Eurovision losing streak with a harmony about the sun rising after prolonged darkness. We're just escaping from this pandemic. There's a war going on in Europe. Who would have believed that? So Eurovision is fun. It doesn't matter one thing in the larger scheme of things. But if you're always going to think like that, if you're never going to have fun, then we're doomed. More important now than ever, maybe. Exactly. Make songs, not war. Some things never get lost in translation. Iceland made it all the way to Eurovision's final round last spring, but Ukraine's Kalush Orchestra, sentimental favorites as predicted, took home this year's title. I'm Scott Pelley. We'll be back next week with another edition of 60 Minutes. If you like 60 Minutes, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. 
Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Are you ready for an all-new season of Survivor? You better be because Survivor 46 is here and it's 90 minutes of twists and turns you don't want to miss. Better yet, after each episode, there's a brand new episode of On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. Each week, we go behind the scenes of the episode's biggest moments, taking you into the how and the why things happened. And this season, we're very lucky to be joined by an expert, the winner of Survivor 45, Devaya Daris. What is up? I'm thrilled to be joining this team and to be giving you my take on how and the why players made the moves they did what it takes to outwit, outplay, and outlast, and to ask Jeff some questions because even after 26 days out there, there is still a lot for me to uncover. Bring it, D. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news, and culture maker interviews and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.